Uh, well, let's get into it. We've been going through Leviticus 18 very, very slowly, uh, talking about sexuality and God's plan for it. And last week we started the talk of gender. So uh, the passage that we're going through is in Leviticus 18, and it's after, it's right after he talks about the idea of incest being forbidden. And it's in verse 19, it says, You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. And we talked about the reasons for that. And the, the main reason why that's in the Old Covenant is because uh, men were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of their household. And when a woman was in her time of, uh, on her period, she was ritually unclean, meaning she couldn't come into the temple, she couldn't offer sacrifices, she couldn't participate in the feast days, and it was supposed to be up to her husband to do that in her stead, to be the head of the household. And if he was obviously having intimacy with her, he would also be unclean, and thus he wouldn't be able to perform those duties as, as a husband. So we talked about this, this principle that we see here in the Old Testament where there is a gender distinction, meaning that God creates a distinction between man and woman, and he does it for a purpose. All right? That's what we believe gender comes from. In our culture today, they believe that gender is a societal construct, meaning that society has constructed the idea of gender, but it's not something innate to human nature. Uh, the Bible kind of flies in the face of that. The Bible says, no, gender was designed by God. It has been, been so since the beginning in the creation of Adam and Eve. And it will continue to the end. And it is important there's a purpose for it. Before we get into the idea of what exactly these gender distinctions are and why they're there, do you guys have any questions about last week's study? No? All right, cool. Um, so let's get into it. Bo, you got anything for us? No. Nope, I right see now. you looking at something. I, thought you were gonna I, was just, I just decided <laughs> to Google. I'm like, how many genders is there? <laughs> What's the it's number, all man? scientifically, it says three. Um, three? Yeah, well, it's talking about male, female, and I think they're using, I think they might be, um, yeah, they might be talking about, yeah, that's what it is. Hmm. Okay. Hermaphroditism. It's an ism. It's an ism. I didn't know it was an ism, actually. I guess it's an offensive term now. <laughs> it used to be like a medical term, but now it's, I guess it's considered offensive. They, uh, People who are in that condition, they prefer the term intersex, I guess, so... Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's the, that's from the scientific perspective. I, I, we talked last week about how um, a lot of groups have come up with a number around 30 or 40 different genders, um, somewhere in there. Maybe 63 more. genders. 63, so it's yeah. grown by the day, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of an, uh, an, an interesting thing that our culture is doing where we're saying that if gender really is societal, that means that you can create and uh, distinguish yourself um, in whatever gender that you want to do because it's not something that is uh, designed in you. It's not something that's created in you. It's just some. It's just kind of a way that you feel. Uh, does anybody? Does anybody have any transgender friends? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, how's How's the relationship? Is it good? I mean, do you, yeah. His sister's friend. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Yep, I did. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And our, our main point last week, if you guys weren't here, you could listen to it on the site. But our main point last week was just the idea of how to, you know, that um, 
there shouldn't be any weirdness in you of communicating with someone no matter what their background is, um, whether they are trans or not. You know, it, uh, the gospel remains the same and your relationship with them should remain the same. Uh, it's just important to, to understand that, to understand where people are coming from and being able to dialogue with them where they're at. You know, and that's, that's, those were kind of our primary points uh, last week. This week we're not really going to be focusing on that too much, so we're going to kind of take the trans issue off the table and we're going to mainly just be focusing on the idea of gender roles. So now we're just coming from the assumption and foundation that God did create the genders, that there is a purpose behind it, and so what we're trying to figure out is what that purpose is. Um, also, we did, me and Bo did a podcast a while ago. Do you remember what it was called? I remember it was, it was a really good one. It was on trans issues. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yes, we did with Professor Robert Jensen. R- Professor Robert Jensen, yeah. Yep. If you guys want to listen to that, it's on our SoundCloud, right? Yeah, University yeah. Texas of El Paso. Yeah, um, we went through Robert, Dr. Robert Jensen, who's a psychologist. He's who, actually a journalist. A journalist. Yeah, but he's a feminist German journalist yeah. who writes about topics like this. Right. And he wrote a he wrote um, a topic he wrote on transgenderism that was. Um, that really upset the transgender culture in his school at the University of Texas of El Paso. Um, so he wrote one str- like against it, questioning it, and which is really odd for Robert because Professor Jensen is a strong liberal, um, very left, you know. But um, and 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 it's not just guys like Robert Jensen, but even my own brother who lives in probably the, one of the most liberal places. Um, and my daughter lives there too, as you guys know, but San Francisco. And, and in that most liberal place, my brother even has, has struggled with this issue of, of transgender. Even though he's fully left, um, over the years he's kind of come more, I think, central. But, but it's because of issues like this where it doesn't make sense to even him. You know, some of the, some of the things that are in the pop culture with, with this issue. Yeah, so if you guys are, uh, if this is like a issue that you really care about and you want to learn more about, the one that we did, we went pretty in-depth. Yeah, absolutely. So, Robert Jensen went deep, and we kind of <laughs> went in with him. <laughs> it, was, it was good, man. I really enjoyed doing that one with you. So if you guys want to do it, it's on our, it's on our SoundCloud. What, what's it entitled? It was- uh, if you go to SoundCloud and you go to Running Light uh, in SoundCloud, or if you just go to runninglight.org, running right, you, yeah. you can go to the podcast, and it's called, I think, Transgenderism. Yeah. Yeah, so if you guys want to listen to that, you can. Uh, but tonight, like I said, we're going to be just focusing on the idea of gender, uh, of the, the created genders that God placed and why they're there. So we, we briefly touched on it last week. We briefly touched on the idea that God does everything for his own glory, meaning he does everything to show character qualities of himself or to magnify particular attributes of his nature. And when he created mankind, there's no distinction there, meaning that when he created man, it was specifically so that we could reflect his glory. This should be, this should be a way that you guys learn to argue or defend the Christian faith all the time. You should always be thinking, like, the purpose of something has to relate to God. It should relate to some quality of God, like of why things are the way we are. Why, do, why, do we have, why are we dimensional beings? Why aren't we flat? Why don't we live on a flat, flat planet? Does that make sense? Like, you have to think like that. Like, why aren't we just a piece of paper, you know, where we're flat? And we just walk around like flat people, you know? Why, why, do, we, why do we have reproductive organs? See, if, if you can't argue that back to God, you'll lose the argument. 
every time, if you can't argue it back to the creator. This is how God is. God is multidimensional, so if God is multidimensional, then wouldn't his creation also be multi? Would a flat God, would he make multidimensional beings? If he's flat, he would make dimensional beings that can do things he couldn't do? That would make no sense, right? That's how you know like Islamic versions of God are wrong or because they say God is one. He is one, one, only one, the end one. Well, that, 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 that's wrong. That's got to be wrong because, because we live in a, in a created world that doesn't just show this kind of oneness that Islam talks about when it comes to God. We have, we have unity within our universe. We don't have singularity, but we have incredible community, even so much where we do have reproductive organs that bring us to an incredible oneness and unique intimacy with others, where we become dependent on others, meaning we aren't singular people. We, aren't, we can't just live apart from the rest of everybody else. For some reason, we're... we're we're the way we are, where we're literally dependent on one another. Why would God do that? Why right. would God, who's not, not into community or not into unity, create unity and diversity and all this stuff, when he himself is not, he doesn't, under, he doesn't know those things. Those things aren't even a part of his being. So you always... Go, you always have to take your argument, all, if you always want to work through it in your brain, you always want to work through, okay, this is the way things are now, or how they are, how we live, how human beings live, just in a general sense, and you have to move the argument all the way back to God. Does that make sense? And, and, and then you'll have a solid argument. Does that you know, you, then you'll be solid in your defense of who God is. Because you'll say, oh, well, God, the reason why there's community, the reason why there's dependency on one another is because God is a, a God. He's a unity. God is a unity God. He is, he's a community within himself. And so obviously a, a communal God will create community. That's what God does. But he's not going to be a one God where he doesn't, he, if no one, he doesn't create anything. He's all alone by himself and he doesn't talk to no one and he doesn't know anybody and he doesn't have any kind of communal relationship with anybody. Why would why would he create dependency when he himself can't even do it himself? He's not, he doesn't live like that. See, he would be a lacking God. He would be a God who couldn't love until he creates something to love. Because there's nothing to love. But no, our God loves, he can love within himself because he is community. Within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? See, it rolls all the way back to the origins of who God is. So that's how you, that's a good way to argue. That's a good way to think too logically kind of in your brain. Right, right. And so when we accept that truth that Bo's saying that, you know, God creates everything to reflect character qualities of himself. God is about his own glory. When we become Christians, what we say in essence is we say, I was living for my own betterment, my own glory, if you want to put it that way. But now I want to live only for the glory of God. And that means that I must reflect God 
in everything that I do. That's why we have passages like 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, right? Everything is about him reflecting God. And so in the nature of gender, what we believe is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, you guys could read it on your own time, but in Genesis 1, verse 27, when God creates male and female, he says, God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them in his image. Right? So it means that man and woman were both created to reflect the nature of God. So God created distinctions in the gender to reflect different parts of who he is. Meaning the man was meant to reflect something about God that's unique. And the woman was meant to reflect something different about God that's unique from her husband. Do you guys understand that? And the way for me as a Christian, when I submit my life to God and I say it's about him now, what I should be asking myself is, in what way does my gender glorify God and how do I live in accordance with that? You guys understand that? In what way does my gender glorify God? Now, I'm not going to go there, but if you want, read through 1 Corinthians 11. It's a great section of scripture where the Apostle Paul talks to the Corinthian church who had gender issues in the church, meaning the men were acting like women, the women were acting like men. Um, And Paul's rebuke against them was essentially this. God has created men in his own image for a reason. And you men, if you want to honor God, you must reflect God in your gender. You cannot leave your gender and still glorify God in the way he created you. Do you guys get that? That the females are supposed to reflect God in that way. You are supposed to reflect God in a different way. And that's how you honor him. Which is, obviously it flies flat in the face of so much of um, any kind of selfish ambition that might raise up in us as human beings, right? So if I have any thoughts of like, hey, well, like maybe I want to change my gender and, and honor God in that new gender, right? Maybe that's how I want to do it. Um, you know, Christianity uh, is always going head on against my selfish ambition. Um, and that's why even passages like in the book of Philippians chapter 3, it says, do nothing with foolish ambition or vain conceit. Very difficult passage. Very difficult. I cannot do that. I don't know about you guys, but when I think about doing anything with foolish ambition, um, that's mine. Thanks, Karen. I thought you maybe you were selling it. You were just holding it up like, yo, five bucks. Just go. Oh, okay. I think it's been in there for a week. You may want to watch that. <laughs> no, I'm cool. I'm cool. So, so my point is just is just that that it, it, it's hard. It, it's like I feel for people that say, "Hey, I wanna, uh, you know, I wanna glorify God, but I wanna do it in the gender that I feel is more comfortable in." I mean, I understand that, but the difficulty thing is that there's all things that we wanna do. There are always things we wanna do as human beings that, when we read the Bible it's very, it, it flies in, a, it, it, God's saying no. And we, we look at it and we go, man, that, and I don't know about you guys, but I look at it and I just go, oh, man, I want to. Um, you know, and, 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 and that conflict, the Bible says, is a good conflict. That's what Christ came to bring, is that conflict into your life. He came to bring it 
you know, he came to bring the sword, you know, the fight. And so it's, so a Christian would look at it and say, I need to, I need to fight that. I need to work on that. Um, uh, I'm not going to make that decision, um, um, you know, to, to maybe change the gender. I'm, I'm going to be patient. And, and, and I know it's going to hurt and I'm going to struggle. Um, but that's the, that's the cross in a sense I have to bear. And, and I know that's a tough message today because we, we want to say, we want to be able to say, hey, there's no cross you have to bear. And, and that's not the message of Jesus. Jesus says, no, you ha- there is a cross you're going to need to bear. And so I don't know if you guys feel that tension in you sometimes where, y- you know, that, that like, I don't want to pick up my cross. I don't want to do that. Um, and that's why it's so important to understand the context of Leviticus. Because the whole context of Leviticus tells us this. There's something wrong with you and me. There's something, that's, that's the whole premise of the book. There's something really wrong with us and our desires. And what Jesus came, uh, one of my favorite sayings of Jesus, is he says, he who, seeks to, uh, he who loses his life for my sake will find it, but he who seeks his own life will lose it. So what Jesus is saying is that your desires are so polluted that if you followed them, you would ruin your life. And Jesus is telling us, he's saying, yeah, I'm asking you to bear your cross. Yes, I'm asking you to lay down your desires and glorify me. But what, I'm ultimate, what he's ultimately saying to us is that by doing so, you are actually finding your greatest joy and pleasure. Yeah, and, and this is another big thing that, again, it's, it's hard to understand. If It's probably impossible to understand if you're not a Christian because it makes no sense, Be, meaning people's lives. You can live a life in peace and in harmony however you want to use your gender you know you can change genders and be at peace in your life you could be a homosexual you can be a polygamist you can be polyandry you can you can you can do all and you can live people do it all the time and they live and they're fine and they help people and they go to orphanages and they you know people do that it's not like it's not like all these people are like bad people and your life's going to be ruined and sometimes you get that sense from uh, the church that that's how we view it it's like it's gonna your life's gonna be destroyed and I always hear pastors say that like if you drink your life's gonna go down it's like do you know how many people drink pastor you know how many people drink in this world a lot of people drink and not all these people's lives are a wreck you know um, it's just not the case or or you know that weed that weed that weed, man, you get on that weed, and it's almost like they're living back in the 1930s when all the propaganda films came out in the United States about these things. Where no, you know, no, what what Jesus is getting is that what does it gain to what does it profit a person to gain everything in the world but lose his soul? The the thing that the Christians arguing is that, yeah, you can live a fine life here on the planet, but Jesus says there's another, there's, there's actually an eternity. There's an eternal life that you were made for eternity. And there's only one way to dwell with a holy God in eternity, and that is through Jesus Christ. The planet is lost. It is corrupted. God has abandoned the planet. 
He is separated from the planet. And he is, the only way to come back to God is through Christ. That's it. That's the rescue mission. So, so Christianity is always focusing not just on a good life here, because you can live a good life here, being a Christian, being whatever. It's focusing ultimately on eternal life. Okay? So it's like if I'm talking to someone and I'm saying, hey, man, you shouldn't, go, you shouldn't be uh, homosexual, or you shouldn't act like a, you're a, a guy, you shouldn't act like a woman, you know, God's created roles for you, da 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 um, Your life's going to be miserable if you act like a woman. You're like, he might look at me and he might be like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, if he's not in the faith, you know, it, it's going to be foreign what I'm talking to him about anyway, you know? And even if he's, if he's in really the main gist I would want to get to this person who's not in the faith is I would want to help him understand that the Bible's points in, in talking about glorifying God is all about eternal life. Really, that's the drive, is what is your eternal life going to be? And, and you know, anything else is, he could argue simply against that. He could just say, well, my life's going to be fine, or my life is fine. Many people in San Francisco live fine lives, but they live them definitely against a traditional Christian worldview. Right. I like, I mean, C.S. Lewis really helped me understand this. If you guys haven't read his book, Mere Christianity, it's, it's amazing. It's a must read, I feel like, for most Christians, for all Christians. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mere Christianity, he talks about the idea of, of, it, of eternity. And he says, if, if our life only lasts like 90 or 100 years, he's like, you probably shouldn't worry about ethics too much anyway. He's like, sure, there's better ways to live and worse ways to live. But there's no such thing as just like a good versus a bad way. Do you guys see what he's saying? He's saying there's no such thing as saying like either you live this way or your life will suck. He's saying there are like better ways to live, but there's no just like good and bad. You can't put it in that black and white context. He says, but if I am going to live forever as the Bible contends, I better worry about how I live my life today because there are things that may not bother me too much today that in a billion years would become an absolute hell to be around. All right, do you see what he's saying? Mm-hmm. He's saying like some things d- erode your life very quickly. Some things erode your life very slowly. But either way, if you are going to live forever, even those little things will become very big given enough time. And what he's saying is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is the idea and the concept of eternity. Yeah. Not just what would be better for you, but what would be best. He always quotes C.S. Lewis, and I always quote Blaise Pascal. <laughs> Blaise Pascal said it this way, right? He said, eternity, or he says this, death is eternal no matter what state it's in. And this is, that's important to understand. So even if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe in eternity, well, no, if you die, it's eternal, <laughs> Meaning, even if you're not even believing in afterlife, you believe death is the end. It's that's it. It's done for the re- for whatever for uh, uh, for the infinite amount of time. Now that you're dead, so so he says death is eternal, no matter what state it's in. And, he, and then he goes on and he says, and if it's such that way, then wouldn't we wouldn't we uh, measure all actions that we do now by the up-and-coming death, 
that's going to be in all of our lives? Does that make sense? Wouldn't we measure all of our actions now according to that eternity? Meaning, if I'm going to die now and I know death's eternal no matter what, then I better look at what I'm doing now and how it relates to that eternity. Because his point is that death is eternal no matter what state it's in, no matter what state you're in. So if I die and there's no God and then I'm st- it's still eternal. It's still the it's still that's it. So he's saying look, watch your life basically like C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Measure your life by that point. Yeah. You know. So in light of that, like if we're, we're we're grabbing this idea of eternality in light of that, how should we or how ought we to treat our gender distinctions. Now, primarily, and this is kind of cool to think about, primarily, um, the way that you and I live, whether you're male or female, will be largely the same. And, and what I mean by that is, is this. For most of us, the way that we relate to God, there's no distinct way that a man should pray versus the way a woman should pray. There's no distinct way, there's no like distinctive worship songs only for men and only for women. There's no distinctive ways or books of the Bible that only men can read and women can't. You guys understand that? Right? So primarily in the way that we relate to God, it will be the same. But there are certain distinctions that are only for men versus only for women. And they usually come together in ways that men and women relate together. Do you guys understand that? That's primarily how they come, they come together. When men and women relate together the gender roles become more distinctive, which would make sense, right? The more the opposites attract to one another, the more clear the opposition becomes, right? So when men and women operate together, how should or how ought they to operate? Well, you know, the main verse that we go to in our Bible to understand this would be in Ephesians chapter 5, right? This is the main verse where the Apostle Paul just makes it very clear and distinct. Throughout the Bible, there's like little hints and little things, but uh, Paul just makes it like really, really clear and concrete. He says, wives, submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. And husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So in those distinctions, what you see is that the women, when they relate to their husbands, or even in the church, in 1 Corinthians 11, he's not talking about marriage. He's just talking about how you relate in church. He's saying the women, they reflect and glorify God's nature through what? Submission to the men, right? That's why women aren't head pastors. Do you guys get that? It's not because women aren't as good teachers. It's not because they're not as good leaders. It's because they have a distinctive role that honors God in a unique way that's different than the role of the man. You guys understanding that? It's just different. That's how it works in God's dichotomy. Just like the son isn't lesser than the father because he took on flesh and died for our sins and the father didn't. You guys get that? We don't look at the Trinity and be like, no, like the father's not as good as the son because he didn't die for our sins. So what Peter's doing is is he's making his argument by going back to God, right? He's going back to the nature of God and he's looking at, hey, how is God within the Godhead? How is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How do they relate together? Wouldn't it make sense that if God related in a certain way amongst himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, wouldn't it make sense that he would create that within um, humanity? 
you know, that's, that's what Peter's getting at. So he's, he's taking the argument back to the nature of God. So some people would, would highly disagree with this point, this point of argumentation. And they would say, no, you know, you know women can do this. And then, and then they would have to make their argument of, of why scripturally and how that relates to God. They might not even relate it to God. So, you know, most people, when they, when they hear the word like, hey, woman submit to the man, a lot of people stop there, and they don't, point, don't, don't make the argumentation all the way back to God. And thing is, is if you don't, then it really makes no sense. Why the heck does it say that? <laughs> See, it wouldn't make any sense. It would be kind of weird and chauvinistic. And, and I would look at it, and I would just be like, God, that's kind of a poopy thing to say. You know, it's like in Galatians chapter three, you just got done saying, hey, man, we're all sons of God. There's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no no free, no slave. We're all one in Christ. And now you're now you're putting some kind of weird like limitation on people. That sounds wrong, you know, and maybe it's just my California liberalism that (laughs) kind of comes through me. But, you know, that just sounds weird. You know, it, it sounds weird. But it doesn't sound weird if you take it more ontologically. You know, you take it back to the or, an origin. How, how, what, is, what is the beginning of this? Um, and if it's, not begin, if it's not beginning with God, then, then the argument kind of starts falling apart. It starts becoming on, like, well, God created patriarchy. Well, why did God create patriarchy? He's not patriarchal, so why did he create patriarchy? Well, because he likes men. Well, why does he like men? Oh, there's no reason. He just does, you know, and he just, you know, women are kind of second class. You know, it, it, those kind of arguments within the Christian church really fall apart, and they sound kind of yucky today, you know what I mean? When, when you hear them, you kind of go, ugh. Or I do. I just go like, I, I don't want to be part of that, man. <laughs> like, but if you make it, if you make the argument all the way back, and that's why I'm saying you have to pull these cultural arguments, you have to figure it out all the way back to God. Or else it really, it's hard to talk about. But if I say, if I say to someone, well, hey, you know, God, the, Bi- the Bible reveals a God who, who submits. And that's an odd odd idea because in Islam or other um, 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 polytheistic, you know, one God religions, right? Islam, Judaism, Christianity. In Christianity, we believe God actually can submit and that he has joy in submission. Again, that's an odd concept. If you go up to an Islamic person and you say, hey, does your God submit? What are they going to say, Peter? I said no. <laughs> right? So uh, in Islam, since God is a unity, God can't submit to anyone else because he's the only one there. Right? So God's all-powerful, so who would he submit to? Only in a doctrine that says that God is three, yet one, can God submit to himself. Because God can only submit to God. Do you guys get that? And so only if God is three in one could that be possible. Yeah, if God's submitting to someone who's not God, or if God's, yeah, if God's submitting to someone who's not God, then obviously... Um, that's God. That's God. You know, right when you place yourself underneath something, what you're saying is, I am going to put myself underneath something that's better mm-hmm. or that's greater. And I, I like how you brought up Islam because Islam at least is honest about this. Other religions don't really say this out loud, but they, I mean, when you think about it logically, it has to go in this direction. 
without this doctrine that we're talking about where God submits, you have to think of submission as a second-class thing. And Islam, like I said, the, the thing that I respect about it is that at least it's honest. And the Hadith, when people ask Muhammad why women have to submit to men, he says because of the deficiency in their minds. So he says women should be led because they're not fit to what? Lead. To lead. They're too stupid, right? That's his reasoning. And so only in Christianity can you say like, no, 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 women don't lead, not because they are deficient than men, but because they honor God in their submission. Yeah, and this is, this is the way I would put it. You know, God calls the women to lead in submission because he calls them to lead in submission, meaning he, the, folk, the, the emphasis that I'm trying to convey is that you are a leader, you are leading just as Christ led within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he continues to lead in submission to the Father's will. So you are a leader. Unfortunately, in 2,000 years of Christianity and church history that I've read, which isn't much over the last 30 years, 33 years or something, many arguments aren't taken back to God. So what you get in this country or in Europe, the Christianity that you've had over the years, over the 2000s of years, is really a really mucky idea of submission. And, and that's obviously grown. So um, we haven't done a very good job in the church to pointing the argument back to the nature of God. And so, but you guys can. You know, you guys can in your culture. You can point it back. Yeah, yeah, very important because... Uh, another distinction that we have to make, uh, another thing that reason why people kind of shrink back at the idea of submission um, between men and women is because we have that negative view of submission. And here's the problem. Just because when it comes to my relationship with my wife or when it comes to male-female relationships in other areas of my life that women are called to submit to me, does that mean that I don't submit at all? No. And if I don't have a good or positive view of submission, you know what that's going to breed in me? You know what kind of leader I'm going to become? A very arrogant one, right? Very arrogant, very self-absorbed, very narcissistic, and very abusive in a lot of the ways that I act because I will believe I deserve it. There's a word that's always used with submission, and what is it? When you look at the Bible and you look at the terms when it talks about submission, there's always another word. It's an H word that's always used, and it's called humility. Hmm. You know, so whenever it's talking about submission, especially if you, if you look at the book of James, man, and you, you just study submission, you're always going to come to humility. So if you don't submit in your life at all, if someone, if, if someone doesn't submit, then they probably aren't going to be a humble person. You know, so if you're in a relationship, if I'm in a relationship, and I'm, I'm like, oh, hey, you're the, you're the one who submits to me, but I never submit. I never submit to you. And to submit means simply to come underneath in, in kind of a ranking. It's to, it's to say voluntarily, I'm voluntarily, um, voluntarily putting myself underneath Peter. Meaning I'm saying, hey, Peter is smarter than me. He knows more than me. I'm going to put myself underneath Peter. Does that make sense? You voluntarily do that. And, and, and that's, that should be Something that happens, if it doesn't happen, Peter's absolutely right. Then, then I'm just going to sit here and go, well, I don't, I mean, yeah, you said that, but, but really, you got to submit to me. 
<laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes that's the vibe you get, right? In some families, you know, you get the, the, the vibe that the man is kind of a guy who has this kind of self-righteousness. He kind of is like puffed up because, you know, people have to submit to him. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen or felt kind of that in your families, but um, that's sometimes just a lack of humility. So. Right. And, and the unfortunate thing is, is that when that is portrayed, when that's given as an example of what leadership and submission looks like, it could torque, it could twist, it could distort the doctrine of God. And, and uh, you know, obviously it could distort your image of God, of how does God lead me? Is he a dictator in the sky that doesn't give a rip about my life? You know, it could kind of mess with you. But what I also mean by that is when children grow up in that kind of environment, you can kind of get this idea that to be a leader means that you're never wrong. So you could never admit fault. You have to always just defend yourself, even if you're just blatantly off. It also means that you got to be kind of a jerk. And submission means rolling over and showing your belly no matter what the circumstance Right. So a lot of women get this idea, especially in the church, they get this idea that to be a submissive wife means I never make a stink and I always do what my husband asks no matter what. Right. Now, that is not what submission is. That's not at all what submission is. Right. We see in the Bible that even though Jesus submitted to the father, did he ever express his desires to the father? Yeah. Right. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will, right? So Jesus expresses a desire to his father, even though he's ultimately saying, whatever you decide, I'm still going to do. You guys get that? Right, so is it okay for a wife to express her opinion to her husband? In fact, she should, because that is an example of humility, right? Where she can say, my wife can come to me and say, Peter, I disagree strongly with what you're doing. Right? I love you, I respect you, I trust you, but ultimately I need to share with you the way I feel. Right? And what would a good leader do if someone expresses their opinion to them like that? Would they be like, I don't care. It's my way, right? You submit. I don't give a rip. Like what what would what would a good leader do at that point, right? After they hear someone voicing their opinion. Check out this. What a good leader would do is he would submit. See, that's why it says, that's why there's someone who's supposed to be the leader in submission. And when you lead, you're, what you're doing is you're showing an example. This is the example. This is the example that I'm setting. And, and so the man should be able to take that leader quality that the woman's giving in the relationship and, and go, whoa, like, I need to follow in that footstep. I need to, that's an example for me. And that's why in Ephesians 5.21, before it says wives submit to the husbands, it says what? Submit to one another out of the fear of the Lord. So submission, it doesn't mean a man doesn't submit. A man submits all the time. He should be submitting himself all the time. And he should be, he should be looking to the leadership of his wife in the area of submission, meaning she should be the greatest example to him to teach him what it looks like so that he can follow in that step too. See, God led in submission. So there's an, there, so God gives the, an opportunity, a role to the woman to lead. Jesus is not like any lower than the father, is he? 
Is he not God? No, Christianity teaches that Jesus is God. So just because he submits doesn't mean he's lower than, like he's some inferior part of the Trinity. No, he is just showing his leadership in that area. Why? Because he's going to create beings, check this out, that mimic God. That's why. He creates human beings to reflect his glory. That's why we're the way we are. He reflects us to do those things to which he is. That's why Christianity makes sense. If you have any other God, it doesn't work. Then it's not, the arguments don't go back to God. They're created by mankind somewhere on the planet. And if it's created by man, then it's probably corrupted by man too. We also have to understand that the idea of a man being a leader also denotes, it doesn't just denote the idea of his position, but it also denotes his responsibility. Okay, meaning that, you know, this is true in any uh, organizational uh, chart. Meaning if you're, if you're in a business and you submit to your boss, yes, you're taking cues from your boss, but ultimately the boss has to take the blame for anything that goes wrong. Does that make sense? Meaning that if, if I have a boss... And let's say he gives me a command, he gives me an order, and I ignore it, or I do something else. He's still going to be accountable for my screw-up to the people above him. Do you guys understand that? That's just how it works, right? So when you look in the Bible, and you look at the way that the Bible describes what's wrong with the world, God always judges the men first. You guys understand that? Always. In the book of Hosea, there's a section where God is talking to (laughs) that God is talking to the people who have gone away from him. They've gone away from his commandments and they're sinning in idolatry. And God specifically says he's not going to judge the women for committing adultery on their husbands or for entering into whoredom, uh, prostitution. And the reason he gives is he says, because your fathers commit adultery on their wives and they raise their daughters to be prostitutes meaning that there was actually fathers selling their own daughters into prostitution. And so God is saying, like, because the men have so so amazingly failed in their role as leaders, I'm not going to judge the women for what they're doing. Because they're just following who? The leaders. So actually the women, in a weird way, he's looking at the women and he's saying, you're actually faultless because you're submitting. You're just submitting to a crappy leader. This is so good. Now, this is how it relates to our culture. <laughs> because the reason why we have all these debates going on on gender and all these and, and sexual issues and identity is because men have led. This is the issue. Men have led. You know, why do women get abortions? You think that's a woman's issue? That isn't a woman's issue. You've been duped if you believe that. It's a man's issue. It's a, abortion is a man's issue. Men have created this situation. Why? Because they're deadbeats. And they don't take care of the women that they impregnate. And it's created a a world since the creation of, or since the fall, where women have abandoned their children. Not because they have strong leadership, but it's because they have no leadership that they are pushed into a situation 
where they have to survive. They have to make it. And the only way they can is through these avenues. Are they good? Are they justifiable? We all think no. But you know what? There's a lot of people that go through a lot of suffering in the world, and they are put in some really bad situations. And, and you look at it, and they just don't have good leadership. You look at, you look at lesbianism. Why, is, why are, do so many people watch lesbian porn in, in the world? It's because women watch lesbian porn. Why do so many women watch? Why do they want to be lesbian so much? Why? Because, I mean, God, when you just look at it, look at how men treat women. If I was a woman, I would be lesbian, right? Because I would go, dude, why would I want to be with a dude? Why do you think women in porn, why after so many years of doing porn with men, they go, you know what? I'll do porn, but I'll only do what? Women scenes. Why do they say that? It's not because men treat them good. It's because there's a lack of sensitivity towards the woman. See, see, the culture gets pushed into situations through not good leadership, compassionate leadership, loving leadership, sensitive leadership, but it gets pushed into a situation through a lack of those things. So when you just look at situations in the world and you just criticize the situation, you criticize, you know, the culture of transgenders and the culture of this, the culture of that. No, 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 no. You don't get it. It's me as a man. It's my leadership that creates the issue in the first place. And men aren't able in this world to see what they've become. That's the scary part. We have a hard time looking at what we've really become as men and what our real leadership, instead of just saying, you know what, man, we've blown it. We've really chunked, man. You know, there's these things, we go to strip clubs, we go to this, we go to that, we go do this, we do this, blah, 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 blah. Instead of just saying, man, dude, we really messed up, you know? We, we don't. Instead, we become self-righteous and we point fingers and, oh, it's that, it's this and that. and that. No, we, we, we've forced the issue. So many times in the Salvation Army, me and Peter bring this point up, you know? The, a, a guy will, will say, hey, you know, you know, you, know, you want to treat your woman this way? And they're like, no, my woman likes to be treated that way. My woman likes it like that. And they'll kind of get in our face, you know, and there's 80 of them. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, Peter and Bo, my girl <laughs> wanted like that. So what do we do now? And I go, well, what do we say? Why do they like it like that? <laughs> Why do they like it like that? I don't know. Well, maybe it's because they've been conditioned by the culture just a little bit. Right? How many women are looked at every day? How many women have to worry about going to a mall and being approached? being looked at, being eyed. How many women on a college campus has been approached in negative ways? Dude, it's a world we as men don't even understand because it just doesn't happen to us. See, we're the leaders. You know, I was reading one article where a girl from New York was hit on 20 times during lunch just her lunch break, getting out of the office, going to lunch, 
coming back, just walking, you know, to lunch, 20 times someone said something to her like, you know, woo, you know, like, man, you're pretty, da 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 20 times. Could you imagine just every day someone, you know, being constantly looked at like that? So, hey, I can go on forever about this, but, but, you, but the whole point is that God was right. You know, Hosea, you know, in that book. So, you know, leadership to a man, to a man is vital. And it's much different than we see. So next week we have to kind of really break that down. Yeah. And what does men leadership look like? Um, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Do you guys have any questions, though, before we end for tonight? I say that was a lot of good stuff, dude. Wow. That was pretty cool. It's cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I got a lot out of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. So no questions? You guys are good? All right, you want to pray for us? Sure. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, We thank you for um, that you're a God of mercy and grace. We thank you that uh, you're always in our life. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that though we struggle in many ways, uh, Lord, continue to help shape our hearts and teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.